People buy houses every day. No big deal to the bank. But buying my first home? That was a big deal to me. That's why I got my mortgage from DCU. They were with me every step of the way. I was able to get a great rate, and they'll service my loan for as long as I have it. Plus, they let me manage my mortgage online, anytime. My mortgage from DCU was the first step, and now, I'm home. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA, NMLS number 466914, equal housing lender, membership required. Visit dcu.org. Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester. Arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch, from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Hello, and you're listening to Worcester Culture Watch on Telegram.com and WorcesterMag.com and Unity Radio 97.9 FM in Worcester. My name is Victor Infante, and I'm the entertainment editor for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette and the content editor for Worcester Magazine and the guy who cracks wise on this podcast. I am joined in the studio today by an old friend from downstairs at the Telegram and Gazette, reporter Craig Seaman. How are you doing, Craig? Hi, uh, Victor. It's an honor and privilege to be back. We haven't had seat. you for a while. You've been missed. <laughs> I've been here in spirit. Okay. And you've been doing a wonderful job, well, as thank always. You. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. But we have dragged you in because you have a story coming up on Sunday, and you had a story... Well, actually, the original story was written by Cyrus Moulton. Yeah, Cyrus uh, did write the original story. Um, because we have had a major loss on the city's musical landscape. Do you want to tell us what's happened? Yeah. Uh, if you grew up in the Bay State sometime in the last 50 years and love rock and roll mu- music, chances are there was a time in your life that you listened to WAF-FM 107.3 religiously. Yep. Not anymore. Well, now maybe just religiously. <laughs> <laughs> With very little fanfare and a lot of tears, the legendary rock radio station was sold to Contemporary Christian Radio Network Educational Media Foundation for $10.7 million and went off the air Monday, Friday, February 21st. Mm. So where once the radio dial stood, the only station in Boston that really rocks now exists Positive, encouraging, K love. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I said, and power to that if that's what you're into. But it ain't rock and roll. <laughs> I, I did have it on. I mean, I did hear when they first went on. I mean, it's it's pop music with yeah. a Christian flavor to it. I, yeah. Next day, I think I heard Selena Gomez do her song that she was crying her eyes out at the Grammys. And okay. she, she did the double start. So if you, it's it's. Pop music with a positive message. Sure. So sure. If that's your and not cu- all of it's terrible, yeah, I'm if, sure. If that's your cup of tea or hemlock, then it's for you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And um, two of the most popular radio personalities who have been there the longest since Greg Hill left, uh, Mistress Carrie and Mike Shue, um, fixtures from one in 20 years each they they were there to the bittersweet hell raisin headbanging and now they're out of the job and i sat with them both for like three hours this week to talk about the radio their radio careers and the end of an era That's, and it certainly is an end of an yeah. era and uh mistress carrie is from lemonster lemonster native and uh, uh mike shu who uh was born in pittsburgh 
is a Worcester resident now, and he grew up in Natick. So mm. they grew up listening to these uh, WAF. They love rock and roll music. They know rock and roll music. They're fans. They love their jobs. And the listeners love them also. So, And as Carrie said, um, WAF going off the air was the equivalent of losing her best friend. Mm. And she was crying all through the last two days. Why, uh, Mike Shue... Using a friend's geeky Star War, a Star Trek analogy, he said it was like selling the USS Enterprise to the Romulans. <laughs> Which Mrs. Carey said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. So, and in a rare and gusty move, uh, gus, gus, Gutsy. Gutsy. Uh, Moved by management, Mistress Carrie and Mike Shue were given two days to say farewell, their farewells on air, which is unheard of. I mean, and I, I think uh, Victor and I will agree, or you will agree with me, that we have a kinship with radio stations because they're going through a lot, a lot of the same issues that newspapers, newspapers have yes. had. And and we have seen some good people go, mm-hmm. and Many. and a lot of them are, they're not given the two days to no. say they're not given the last column usually or the yeah. last farewell. So that was unheard of, uh, and the two radio personalities who were on the airwaves together for fourteen hours on the last day. Shed a lot of memories, plenty of hugs, and mm. shed a few tears as they, as they stayed on to the very end. And uh, thus to go through a few things, uh, the la- because not only did the two-day send-off serve as closure for Mrs. Carey and Mike Shue, but also for the die-hard listeners, which they couldn't say enough of, current and former employees of the station, and for rockers who got airplay, and in many cases their big break on AAF. Aerosmith, Tom Hamilton stopped in. Wow. Uh, Gary Sharon and Nuno Benincourt of Extreme uh, called in. Sully Erna, Godsmack, and as most of the people in uh, this area know, if it wasn't for AAF, Godsmack would never have got airplay, and they would never become the juggernaut that they are. But we still like them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a- sorry. But uh, guys from uh, Stain called in, Seven Dust, Theory of a Dead Man, uh, Brent Smith from Shinedown, and these are all, except, yeah, for, except for Aerosmith, these are all AAF bands. Yeah. And BCN, their biggest competition for a long time until they went under wouldn't touch these bands until they had them, and it was, and if they had them, it was because of WAF. Yeah, no, that's definitely so they, true. So they did it, and, and as you probably know, the last broadcast, uh, they played Black Sabbath. Sabbath. Black <laughs> Sabbath. <laughs> and I, that, 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 my, my hat goes off to them. That was a brilliant way to sign it off. It was the perfect way. And <laughs> I mean, I was, I was, you know, tweeting, you know, maybe they should end one uh, beforehand. Guns N' Roses cover of uh, Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door, and maybe the new station should start with a version of Knocking on Heaven Door, Heaven's Door, or a ministry's Jesus Built My Heart Real Hard, <laughs> and stigmata to a ministry double shot. But they, it was the perfect choice, and talking to them both, they spent a lot of time thinking it out. Because some stations have gone out with like ACDC Highway to help. Because this is not the first station no. that has gone out and gone out the same way with a, a, this network buying them. This network's been buying a lot of rock stations because the signals are so strong. Mm. And someone did Highway to Hell and uh, someone did Stay Away to Heaven. But that would have been trite 
and obvious, but the song that almost was played, this is trivia for any, I don't think this has been reported anywhere, and they didn't talk about it on the air. The song they almost played was Look at Your Game Girl. A song, yeah, I see uh, uh, Vic, uh, Victor smiling over there, a song written by cult leader Charles Manson, recorded originally by Manson and covered by Guns N' Roses, which would have been a good choice, and they said it was a good choice, but when Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, that, that's perfect, and it has a lot of, I mean, history for the station, they both, both came out in 1970. Yeah. Everyone credits Black Sabbath as being the uh, the fathers of heavy metal. It's true. Ozzy Osbourne happened to put out an album the same day that was the last day. <laughs> of I, the stage. I, yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. so I mean, fifty I, years and connect those. Things. Yeah, it's still relevant. And the kicker of the whole thing is, I mean, besides the fact that they were celebrating their fiftieth anniversary this year, Monday. Coming up, the day after the story is being published, Monday, March 2nd, was supposed to be the day that WAF, WAAF relaunched a new radio format with all new shows, all new shifts, heavier new music, no 60s and 70s classic rock, and even music in the morning. And this whole thing was kind of harking back to the late 90s when the station was breaking new bands and leading the Hard Rock Brigade. But it's one of those things that they didn't. I mean, they even wow. they had promo shots. They had new. Uh, so this sale well, happened fast. They were told Tuesday. They were told three days beforehand. Uh, their uh, their program director was probably told a few hours before that. They were told wow. in between shifts. Yeah, it, pretty much when it broke is when they heard it, and it didn't come from the Boston office. This was you know higher up corporate. Yeah. And no, they were spending a lot. They were spending a lot of time, energy, uh, and my, my mind uh, stuff uh, to uh, brain power to work out a new station. Because since Greg Hill went to their sister station, sports sister, sister station downstairs in the same building, I mm. gather W E E I, they've lost some ratings. Yeah, and, and and the audience for rock and roll radio has been plummeting. Yeah, and I mean. I don't know what radio station out there actually plays new rock and roll. And I can't think of one except for indie stations and yeah, I and, mean, I, and college radio. There's certainly nothing above 92 FM on the dial that's playing anything. No, no, I, nothing is nothing is leaping to mind yeah. on me. And you know what you get is classic rock. What you get is, and classic rock now includes the 90s, I know, which, is, <laughs> which is which is scary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's somebody made, made a, um, the new um, Power Slot album, which I reviewed in today's I Mr. Magazine. That, yeah. um, there's, a re- there's a crack about um, 90s being classic rock, 90s music being classic rock now. <laughs> and and I, that hurt a little bit because yeah. I was an adult when all of that came I know. out. Um, I, I mean, I was yeah. when they started saying, you know, the, the, I think it was oldies, 103, if they even exist. Uh, old music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and that was like 10 years yeah. ago. I'm like, oh, the 80s is in that group? Yeah. Yikes. Okay, here's the I yes. mean, I've made this point before. Um, I was 16 in 1988. Okay. At that point in time, we were in time closer to the Beatles' first album yeah. than we are now, than right. we are now to there. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like the Beatles seemed like a long time ago in 1988, but it wasn't. It no. was, you know, 20-something years. Yeah. And now we're going back of, oh, no. you know, 50-something, 60 years of rock and roll. Yeah. 70 years of rock and yeah. roll now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's not even going back to like Sister Rosetta Tharp or anything. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're talking yeah. recognizable yeah. as rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's insane. But you know, the a lot of stations. I don't know. WAF is was always kind of an anomaly because they at least did their own programming, right? For the most part, as I understand it. Yes, I'm not not a hundred percent. That is that is correct, and a whole new format. They were going to have live disc jockeys, four-hour shifts, the whole, which uh, the That's, whole twenty-four hours, which is unheard of. Yeah, and that would have been amazing. Yeah, I mean, and as they, you know, as they were explaining to me, you know, some of those radio stations that they try to put on the fact that they're live, you know, they're yeah. all programmed, it's all can. And and one thing great about the station, whether you liked it or not, because of the format, even before this, they and they had live people there, they could react. Yeah. And like uh, Mike Shute explained to me, one of his hottest times on the air was when he came into the shift and Mistress Carey told him Neil Peart from Rush died. Oh. And he's a massive Rush fan. And the radio gave him a station, gave him his uh, cop launch. He uh, told someone to get all the Rush records he can. And for the next three hours, he was commiserating why he celebrating Rush. Oh. And... Uh, Mistress Carey, similar thing when uh, Chris Cornell uh, news got hit. Uh, she did the same thing. And then uh, going a little further back, which is definitely a quintessential AF band, Pantera, uh, uh, Damage Plan, Dimebag, Daryl, yeah. getting fatally shot on stage, yeah. uh, which is crazy in its own. But he was a, you know, he was a friend of the station. Yeah, and Chris Cornell was a friend of the station. I mean, there's, too. yeah, well, I mean, he performed in the station. He got interviewed enough times on the station. You know, Pert, who usually kept to himself. Yeah, you know, but they definitely. Blade Rush. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but it's like, you know, so much, and this has really been such a problem. I mean, a lot of commercial radio's demise has been it's a self-inflicted wound. That's probably safe to say. Um, and, you know, you you dig into a lot of local stations, pop, rock, hip-hop. Um, it's all being programmed in Tennessee yeah. or someplace. Right, exactly. It's all being, you know, nothing is local. Yeah. There might, maybe there's a show on it late, at, late yeah. night or something, but you know, and there's nothing breaking into it. They are, they are being, they are pushing forward the pop music that is handed to them by the record labels. Correct. Um, they're not leading that charge. They're amplifying somebody else's no. work. And that's, Fine, it yeah. is what it is, but you know, it's part of the reason I have not really listened to commercial radio no, in mean, more than twenty years. It's tough. I mean, I'll confess, I I listen to uh, satellite <laughs> radio. Yeah, I still play CDs in my car, and I still have a cassette player in my castle. <laughs> I think at the moment I got the first Pretenders album on cassette. <laughs> Oh no! Actually, I got the Rolling Stone, uh, more Hot Rocks on cassette, and uh, an Elvis Costello disc on CD, and then I got the satellite radio. So, but uh, yeah, it's and and 
Yeah, format definitely. I mean, AF, their new game plan sounded very It sounded exciting. really, it did. I, I would have actually really yeah. loved to have seen that. I mean, I was like, oh my God, the, the big loss. I mean, there's so many losses. Here. You got two experienced disc jockeys out of the job and hopefully land on their feet. But who knows? I'm just simply because of the way the, the game plan is now. And the station going and like I said everybody's has good memories from this area of that station or I have memories and the fact that they were going to do something from lack of a better term sounded revolutionary yeah. at least on the thing because I mean we all like classic rock music but there's only so many times we can hear a song from Zeppelin 4 yeah. or Dark Side of the Moon it's like can we dig into maybe uh, yeah. a House I mean, of the Holy or you know play something off uh, Presents well, <laughs> and this is the problem because it increasingly and this is a problem that plagues rock music particularly yeah. which is it is increasingly driven by nostalgia yeah and that is almost entirely antithetical to the nature yeah. of rock and roll. Yeah. Um, rock and roll is about, you know, youthful rebellion. Right. It's about teenage sex. Right. It's about it's about lust and love and this sort of bloody knuckled freedom and you know, which is a romantic ideal, but it's the romantic <laughs> ideal that comes with rock and roll. Right. It's that's what it's built yeah. on. Um, it's not the idea that rock is driven by, let's face it, um, white guys in their fifties. <laughs> um, yeah, you and you wonder why kids don't connect to it, the music yeah. anymore. Uh, it's yeah. it's the truth. I mean, the metal scene's got a got its own thing going on. The hardcore scene's got its yeah. own thing going on, and that's cool. But it is all, by and large, it is really a bad yeah. market for rock and roll, and it's having a harder and harder time. Yeah. Um, I mean, of all the stations out in our area, AF, AF was was doing something. Different. I mean, yeah, they weren't playing. Oh, okay, we're gonna hear a Tool song now. Yeah, which is great, and then we're gonna hear a song from a band that's probably playing at the Palladium next week. And that that's there. the sort of thing that works. Yeah. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that needs. It's it's almost like the same. It is the same thing. Problem is news, really. Where yeah. it's if it's going to work, it's got to connect at the local level, right. and it's got to. And radio particularly needs to form an emotional connection yeah. with its listeners. Yeah. And a lot of commercial radio has become off-putting. Right. You know, it is, it's aimed at the, the nostalgia of middle-aged adults. And <laughs> there's only so much that can yeah. pull because, you know, that's, that's not the big market for yeah. <laughs> music. Well, I, I mean, AF, as we were yeah. saying, they were certainly yeah to a, so them losing a younger diamond demographic the same demographic that most of the sports stations are probably getting yeah which is why they were hurt so bad and, yeah and i guess people want to hear talk now <laughs> um, well, i mean uh, well i mean there's yeah. room for everything i mean but. we're sitting here doing this right now yeah. on you know 97.9 fm unity radio <laughs> and i think that a about is a good point to wrap yeah. us all up here, but thank you for coming into the station. Yeah, and just, uh, to, to anybody listening, uh, Mistress Carrie and Mike Shu, you did a great job. The station was a great station, and thank you for all your years of doing this. So we're going to miss you guys. God bless you guys, and uh, something good will happen from this. I'm quite sure something will. Now, we're going to take a short break, and while there might not be much rock and roll radio left on the airwaves here in Worcester, 
We're going to at least go out with a little rock and roll. This is Learn to Love the Lie by Four Years Strong. You have been listening to Learn to Love the Lie by Four Years Strong. We have a um, 
interview with Worcester Rockers um, Four Years Strong on the cover of this week's Worcester Magazine by our good friend Jason Greenbow. Um, but moving ahead into the act territory, I am joined in the studio by a Telegram and Gazette entertainment reporter, Richard Duckett. How are you today, Richard? I'm fine, Victor. Thank you. And you've got a very interesting story in Sunday's paper coming up. Well, um, March is um, not only Women's History Month, but this year marks the 100th anniversary of uh, the 19th Amendment being adopted. Actually, it was officially adopted on August 26, 1920. And so for March 1st Act, I have a story about... um, uh, an upcoming event, which um, is already sold out, I'm afraid, but um, it's going to be at the Worcester Historical Museum, and it's being f- called a suffragette tea, <laughs> along with a performance of a group called History It Plays Newest Ensemble Production, which is titled How Long Must We Wait? And uh, it depicts the uh, struggles for women's right to vote and equality. Mm, well, that and Worcester, of course, has a very deep connection to the original suffragette movement. Yeah, Worcester was the home in uh, 1850, talking about how long must we wait, it would be uh, about 70 years. Um, uh, Worcester was the home of the first national convention, um, which was formed, quote, to consider the question of women's rights, duties, and relations. It was Mm. the first women's national convention in other words it was held at the former brinley hall in uh, 1850 which since been demolished but it's opposite where a mechanics hall is um so um uh worcester has a long history and massachusetts um was at the forefront of um of the debate and activism in the 19th century uh, Lucy Stone from uh, West Brookfield was mm-hmm. um, an a- abolitionist and a suffragist. Um, and History at Play also has um, a one-woman production called um, I Now Pronounce You, Lucy Stone, uh, which is going to be performed upcoming uh, at several places, including Westboro, March 29th, and Grafton, um uh, I'm sorry, Westboro March 2nd, Grafton March 29th, and uh, April 1st uh, in Sutton. And uh, History Play was founded by um, Judith Kaleora, who's Massachusetts-based, and uh, uh, she tells me that Worcester is mentioned quite frequently in uh, How Long Must We Wait? Well, it's funny, because I, I read, last year I read that the big new biography of Frederick Douglass, and I was shocked at how much, the, his, how many ties he had to the Worcester suffrage, Worcester area suffragist movement. It was just, I, I, not a thing I knew. Yeah, I think I believe that. Uh, how long must we wait? Uh, uh, it ha- which has sort of various depictions of moments uh, mm-hmm. rather than narrating a long story about individuals. But uh, yeah, I believe that Frederick Douglass does make an appearance uh, in, uh, in, or is at least alluded to in uh, uh, his his relationship with the suffragette movement um, in, in in the in the uh, in the performance piece. Hmm. Because you know the suffragists, uh, suffragettes, and the abolitionists, there was a lot of crossover and some conflict, but. Definitely, definitely, you know, on occasion they were not on the same page. Right. At least on order of things. Right. Yeah. It's, 
interesting uh, you know, how long must we wait um, because although Massachusetts was the eighth state to actually ratify the uh, 19th Amendment, that was in uh, June 25th, 1919, uh, Massachusetts, along with several other New England states, were rather slow compared to other states around the country in actually adopting um, the women's right to vote. I actually was not aware of that. Yeah, apparently um, the territory of uh, Wyoming had... um, had adopted uh, full uh, full suffrage uh, way back, uh, and then when it became a state in in 1890, it retained those rights. This is way before the uh, about 30 years before the uh, 19th Amendment became enacted, and um, Colorado was uh, 1893. Um, so so. June 25th, 1919 is is, is is a bit late in the proceedings. Uh, Judith Kaliora said that she was initially surprised by that, but the more she, re- she researched it, the more she wasn't in the sense that there remained, and perhaps there still is, a strong sense of puritanism in this state. It's, well, it's funny, you know, you, know, you know, we often have, Bill Shaner often will say in the first segment of this um podcast he'll actually bring up how for such a liberal state how conservative massachusetts is capable of being on occasion (laughs) and i think that puritan streak actually might be it might be part of part of part of the culprit and part of the sometimes it's just it it would prefer not to change sometimes (laughs) yes yeah well yeah yeah probably still is here it certainly was back then um, I came across, uh, when I was uh, looking into this, uh, a rather amusing uh, editorial that was written in the Evening Gazette um, just around the time of um, uh, the 19th Amendment um, being ratified or just after it had been ratified. And uh, uh, the city clerk had, had extended um, the registration period uh, for women to, to register for the uh, uh, 1920 presidential election. Hmm. Anyway, uh, the editorial writer wrote, uh, those who've been keeping a weather eye on women registration in Worcester, and the count has reached about 8,000 to date, affirm that the majority who've registered are of solid, mature type, the mothers <laughs> of children and the housekeepers of about middle age. This augurs well for the future. Uh, <laughs> and, oh. uh, and then the editorial concluded... Um, they deserve the right to vote. Uh, the woman who is good enough to be a wife, a mother, a daughter, who did a share in the war, who nursed the wounded, who did a bit at home, who is our joy and worry through most of life, that woman is good enough to have the vote. <laughs> very um, very kind of him to say. <laughs> Rather radical for the evening. Yeah, it would have been, actually. That would have been, actually, yeah. For, There'll probably some eyebrows raised. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's so funny because on the one hand, it feels almost it's like feels ridiculously progressive, and on the other hand, just from our perspective, a little condescending. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's it's amazing. Hist- it's like trying to hold history to contemporary standards is always a fool's game. But but still, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> I know. I know. I thought I thought that was interesting. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Um, anyway, there are going to be plenty of other events coming up um, during the course of the year um, to sort of celebrate the 19th Amendment. Um, Worcester Historical Museum um, has a number of things going on in relation to it. Its major exhibition is going to be pretty powerful. That's the title of it, pretty powerful, 100 Years of Voting and Style. And that 
that will actually open up uh, on October 29th and have quite a long run. And uh, it's going to feature costumes, accessories, fashion illustration and photography from the museum's collections, as well as loans and acquisitions, and programs to focus on women's social and political activism, as well as style in Worcester and the nation. And then it's got a number of... Um, hosting another, a number of other events um, in relation to both March being Women's History Month. Um, um, Fourth Wall Stage Company is, is putting on a play called Photograph 51, uh, March 19th to the 28th, and there are various talks coming up as well. Well, it sounds like we've got a lot to look forward there, too. And just on a grander political note for a second, I would like to note, remind everybody out there that the Equal Rights Amendment has finally had enough states to ratify it. Now they just need to to um, actually extend the period that it was <laughs> that it, because it had expired and they need to actually vote to rescind that expiration date before that actually becomes law. So um, if any, this might be a good opportunity to um, this Women's History Month, but uh, well, it's not going to happen, is it? Not not this month. <laughs> well, how long must we wait? Exactly, we're still back at this game, uh, game, and uh, you know, I hope, I hope to live to see the Equal Rights Amendment passed. I really do. So that's so it seems like a weird echo of what we went through with what they went through with the suffragette movement. To now, so uh, to this, like now being this amendment being actually in reach, it seems almost an odd counterpoint. I don't know. I've pulled this out of nowhere. I'm rambling again. This is probably time for Victor to stop this podcast, right? This. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Thank you, as always, for being joining us today, Richard. Thank you. And we'll be back again next week. You have been listening to Worcester Culture Watch. Um, as always, our music was composed by DJ Manipulator. We'll see you soon. Thanks.